You're listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast, where we provide top insights into sports leadership and peak performance through interviews with some of the greatest team captains and thought leaders in the sports world. Now, here is your host, performance coach, speaker, and author, Ben Smith. Welcome to the Captain's Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Smith, and I am truly excited for our interview today with Dr. Vargas. I first came across her while trying to find some research into pregame speeches and the effects that they had on performance. Her research was one of the only scientific studies that I found on the matter. And for this podcast, I was really hoping to delve a little deeper into that study and some of the other work that she has been actively pursuing. Dr. Vargas has had a very full life at a young age. She has been the past president of the National Council for the Accreditation of Coaching Education, listed on the United States Olympic Committee Sports Psychology and Mental Skills Registry, has a bachelor's in psychology, a master's in counseling, and a PhD in sports psychology. She is on the editorial board for the International Journal of Sports Science and Coaching and is an active member of the Association for Applied Sports Psychology. So, Dr. Vargas, welcome to the show. I know that you are very busy, and I would love to jump right in. What exactly was it that propelled you to do a study on the topic of pregame speeches? Absolutely. Well, it it actually stemmed from my um, own personal experience within sports. And I was a competitive soccer player, and when it became time for me to start doing research, I started remembering my playing days. And interestingly enough, I don't necessarily remember the great speeches, but I do remember the speeches that left me scared. And so that sent me into competitions, not in the right frame of mind. And so with that line of thinking, I wanted to investigate what pregame speeches were and and how we could better refine them so that that didn't continue to happen. Right, right. So my first study actually looked at soccer players, um, and it was an imagined situation of a, um, it was a state championship game for the soccer players. And after they reviewed stats, they listened to one of three types of speeches. And so the first was very emotional and it was meant to psych them up and and really motivate them. And the second was highly informational, and it gave them specific strategies on how to perform. And then the third was simply a control. And so it was very, uh, your basic information about what time to show up for the game, what uniforms. And then I I measured their self-efficacy following this and how they predicted the game to go. And that initial study indicated that the emotional pregame speech increased self-efficacy. So it seemed to imply that yes, something, something's there, something's going on. And from that study, there were several others that followed to continue to look at this idea of information and emotion. And there's clearly a connection. We're still just trying to figure out what exactly that connection is. So we know athletes prefer different types of speeches according to the situation. So sometimes they perform more information and sometimes more emotion. But we also know that even when they like emotion, they still want that information connected to it. So I think there's a lot more work that could absolutely be done. So is there any other literature that's kind of out there? Are you really the only one that's really looking at a a deeper level into these pregame speeches? I think I, I was probably one of the first to begin looking at this, but recently there have been some more individuals who are starting to look at this. 
I, I have reviewed some articles at least. I'm not sure if they've come to publication at this point, but there are some more out there. Okay, cool. Um, so you would certainly agree with the fact that when done correctly, pregame speeches definitely offer some sort of a competitive advantage over someone or another team that might not go through uh, the pregame speech. They certainly seem to help. And it was consistent that athletes agreed with this. They do think it's helpful and they do like them. So while we're still trying to figure out exactly what the effect is and how long that effect lasts, if athletes like something and feel good about it, I'm of the opinion that we should give it to them. Uh, you mentioned in your article about ver or your study about verbal persuasion. Would you, could you take a quick second just kind of define that for everybody? It kind of is obvious, but... <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, verbal persuasion is one of the sources of our self-efficacy, or if you think about self-efficacy, is a very specific form of confidence. And it, it's using words to impact the way you feel about your ability. And so this could come from a coach, it could come from a parent, and it can also come from yourself. It could come from anyone's essential words. During some of my research in the pregame speeches, I came across a couple different stories, which I actually hadn't known. And Three to mention, uh, in the 2017 ALCS, Carlos Beltran came up into the dugout, I think, after they went down 0-2 or 0-3 against the, the New York Yankees and uh, gave a, a, an impassionate pregame speech to his team. And players are quoted saying that they knew that after he gave that speech that they were going to come back and win. Uh, Cubs in 2016 with Jason Hayward after the rain delay uh, in game seven, took all of the team into the dugout and gave a speech. And kind of the same things were said there, that after he gave that speech, that everybody knew that they were going to win. Hunter Pence in 2012 was another, which is funny. These are all in baseball, which very rarely do these types of things or select team captains. And so I presented these because these are all senior leaders or kind of team captains within within the team, not so much the coach, that seems to have had, a, have had a very positive impact in actually changing the course of the game uh, and the momentum. And so my question to you is, do you think that it's better for a team captain, senior leader to give the pregame speech or the coach? Truthfully, I don't think it matters. I think in the moment, it's about the person who takes that step. And it's about knowing your team. And sometimes it's much more effective for the coach to actually step back and allow a teammate to step up. And yeah. it absolutely just depends. Okay. Yeah, situation. I'm guessing that's the same answer to for pregame speeches dependent on not just the situation, but also the sport that you play. Um, I'm guessing something like um, football is going to be very look very differently from golf if you even do one. Uh, any thoughts on that at all? Well, that's actually one of the – Criticisms, perhaps, and concerns for pregame speeches is the idea that anytime you're working with a team, you absolutely have individual differences. But then, of course, there are differences across sports. And within golf, uh, the nature of golf itself, you would want a lower arousal level mm -hmm. and you would want much more time to be introspective and be thinking, truthfully. Whereas with football, you need that higher arousal level. So you would need to tweak what's in both of those speeches and perhaps there would be more of the emotional aspect and the psyching up aspect within football but it's also about how you use it so emotion could still be present for golf 
but you're using it less to increase the arousal and more to focus in their performance. And so it does get a bit tricky and it is, I think at this point still somewhat confusing in how to best do this because the elements remain the same. And for different sports, we have different, uh, what we refer to as functional emotions. And so it's an it's a, it's about figuring out how to draw out those functional emotions for those athletes. It's, uh, could you go a little bit uh, deeper into the functional emotions? I don't think I've really ever heard of that. Well, there's this idea that when we look at emotions, we can categorize them as either positive or negative, or at least in how we typically perceive them, right? So feelings of calm, we might consider positive. Um, charged is positive. Uh, whereas anger or fatigue tend to be considered negative emotions. But even when we look at those as positive and negative, we recognize the fact that some are functional and some are dysfunctional. So if I'm playing soccer, perhaps feelings of calmness is not actually functional for me, whereas feelings of charged is. Uh, Likewise, for some sports, perhaps anger might be a functional emotion for that particular sport, even though we consider it negative. So when one of the studies that I did, we did notice that the functional emotions for soccer players did improve and increase following the pregame speech. And so for soccer, those functional emotions include feelings of charged determination and feeling energetic. And their dysfunctional emotions actually stayed the same. So this would imply that perhaps pregame speeches can do this. And maybe that's where we need to be focusing is that they could improve those particular emotions that are most needed at that time. Okay, very cool. Uh, for your for this original study that you uh, that you did, did you come in across any major issues at all that you or barriers that you really had to kind of uh, that kind of halted what you were trying to accomplish there? Were there any issues along with uh, you know with that? I think there's always some struggles with research, and certainly with the pregame speech, it very much requires field studies. So several of my studies have been within the lab, and I have been fortunate in that I have been in the field and able to record coaches right before soccer games. But it is difficult in that it was a one-time situation. And so certainly those coaches knew I was there. Those speeches might not have been the typical speech for them. And the athletes knew I was there. And so the athletes also may have altered how they reacted because perhaps they were thinking about it more. So truthfully, in the future, it would be very helpful if, if more longitudinal studies occurred so that they became so used to your presence, you were no longer impacting or potentially impacting their behaviors. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of times language gets brought up into pregame speeches, foul language in particular. Any thoughts on, um, on if that's beneficial or not so much so? I think... You know, in all fairness, within athletics, you're going to hear foul language. I don't know that that ever will go away. I think the key to pregame speeches is that you have to be genuine. And if that is who you are and that's who the team has accepted, they will most likely accept that from you as well. But if you are just throwing out particular terms because you think that's going to be what fires up your team, you also they will know it's not normal. They will know it's not genuine. And then you might have a very different reaction of just laughter or confusion or shock. And then they get thrown off by focusing on that as opposed to the content of the speech. Yeah. So that's, yeah, definitely. I know a lot of uh, individuals, coaches and team captains who, you know, are, are, uh, are willing to go through this vulnerable, you know, 
30 seconds, uh, which can be very vulnerable because you're getting in front of people, sometimes your peers, if you're a team captain and, you know, it's, it can be a little scary. So a lot of times they just, it, it, it fails. And so then they therefore say, you know, I'm never going to do it again, or it just doesn't, it's not for me, or it just doesn't work in general. So any thoughts on, on like what the perfect pregame speech looks like step-by-step process or some characteristics outside of, you know, what's kind of already in your study on what they can do to make it effective. I wish we had a nice um, recipe for it. Uh, What I can tell you is that absolutely number one, know your team, know your team's needs, be able to read the room because that's a pretty critical first step. Mm-hmm. And then some general trends that we know is regardless of anything else, athletes like information. They want to know what they need to do to be successful. So when I, some of the less successful speeches have been those coaches that focus a lot on the other team's strengths, mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily tell you how to counter those strengths. In which case you're going to leave the team feeling scared, perhaps overly anxious, and they're feeling ill-equipped to handle it. So when you're reviewing scouting reports, that's fine. But then make sure that you're giving your team a concrete strategic plan to counter it. And then even if you're going, know that there's a time and a place for emotion. If you're using over-the-top emotion every game, you are going to lose its effectiveness. So consider saving that emotion for the critical moments, the big game, uh, the situations where perhaps you're the underdog or you need something to change. But if you're trying to use it every time to get your athletes' energy up, there are other ways to do that. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, I certainly really feel like the pregame speech is really a weapon that can really, when used and done well, can really benefit. So is there a, any thoughts on how um, coaches can get, can develop team captains or just uh, athletes in their, in their program to do these well? I don't know, practice sessions or, um, you know, any kind of preparatory work, uh, informational things, or just practice with one-on-one with the coach, any thoughts on how they can just help these athletes, uh, kind of develop the skill set that is communicating in that sense in a high emotional environment? Well, I think there's a a few steps uh, coaches can take. And the first being that they need to model it themselves. All coaching behavior needs to be what you would expect and hope your athletes would show. And so that's, that's very critical. The second aspect would be to start helping athletes become more self-aware themselves and getting them to consider thinking about what their needs are and how to better impact their feelings of uh, confidence or when they're anxious, what do they need? Because then they'll start to consider the bigger picture. And then I would also highly encourage coaches to work on establishing a cohesive team. If you have a bunch of teammates who become more of a family, then it's much easier for somebody to step up in the moment because they know exactly what's needed and the others are willing to listen. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, This is kind of a little off topic, but still on it. But um, for what you kind of found in the evidence that kind of proposed that uh, pregame speeches can be very, very helpful, um, is this something that the corporate world can learn anything from? Um, Truthfully, I think the pregame speech goes across all arenas. Um, I think strong leaders recognize their team and who their team is. And certainly within the corporate world, that is also your team. So things, things are consistent across the board. I would encourage strong leaders to consider their daily feedback 
as well as uh, the type of speeches. So in other words, every day, what feedback are you giving to your, your, um, your team? Are you providing them with something that's valuable to which they can improve? And in those day-to-day -day interactions, they're investing in you. And so they are going to believe more in you and be prepared when you come out and try to fire them up for that performance. So that cohesion is still just as important. Um, that day-to-day -day feedback and communication is incredibly important. And then when the time comes, when you're in a crunch mode, when there's a deadline coming up, absolutely it can be effective. One of the things that I've found, there's certainly different, you know, just going through some different YouTube videos and uh, just through my own experience in sports, there certainly are different types of pregame speeches. One, uh, two of the ones that I'll mention here that kind of I've, I've termed is kind of like the rogue speech where it's just it's kind of unprepared, it's in the moment. And then the one that is kind of prepared is kind of like a chanted one, the one that all the teams kind of know. Um, do you have any insights onto, I know it's very dependent on the situation and the team, but from my, again, from my experience, I've really seen the one that is kind of impromptu in the moment when that's done well, that is like incredibly effective in increasing self-efficacy more so maybe than one that's already been prepared that's done consistently and constantly. Um, any thoughts on that? I would, I would absolutely agree with that because then you yourself are drawing off the emotion in the moment and the rest of the team automatically knows that. I, I think people do have a tendency to tell the difference between saying that is pre-prepared and something that has you caught up because you believe so very much in it that you are sharing it with everyone else. Yeah, I certainly agree. So I'd love to move into kind of more the leadership aspect, um, specifically for team captains. And uh, have you done much work or any kind of research in, in regards to leadership in sports, maybe even so much uh, or so forth, the team captaincy roles? Um, have you done anything in that kind of sector? You know, I haven't done a lot of research in this area, but this is an area with which we, we work when we're consulting with teams and athletes. Okay. Uh, any, what kind of things when you do consult with them, what are some of the questions they might have or some of the issues that pop up that they ask you about that you can kind of consider and think through? I think what comes up consistently, consistently is an incongruency between coach and captain. Oh, okay. And so, so many times, we need to come in and help clarify expectations. And so there are several things that can help with this. And in large part, it still goes back to communication. Yeah. Um, any thoughts on how, you know, cause a lot of times I'll see with, with all of the different coaches and athletes, team camps that I work with, um, the problem that I'll, I run into is that coaches will say things like, well, I just don't have a good leader on my team. And a lot of times that just, they kind of reflect the problem outside of them as if it's their fault, but they've had that athlete maybe for three or four years at this point. So uh, it's this idea that they're not really consistently or systematically putting them through intentional experiences to craft and mold them to the point that when they are juniors and seniors, that they're really ready to take on. They have those expectations. They know what to expect, kind of what to do, actionable steps to take. So I guess my question for you is any insights again on maybe how cap or coaches can really systematically develop from starting at like freshman, sophomore year, high school or college, regardless of either one. Um, you know, there's multiple, multiple uh, methods coaches can use. Um, there have been some programs throughout the country who have actually done a very nice job of trying to develop this where they develop uh, workshops and seminars depending upon the level for the athlete. So freshmen are exposed to 
workshops that might perhaps have to do with time management, you know, basic leadership skills and communication. And then when they move into the sophomore type role, they then become uh, mentors for the new freshmen. So right off the bat, you're starting to train them in, in that leadership role. And so as they progress up and onward, they keep gaining skills and they keep having to build, uh, opportunities to practice them. And so that's certainly one aspect that a coach can do. I think coaches also tend to not utilize the mentorship model as much as they could, uh, even on the sidelines. So if you have, when athletes are perhaps injured, when athletes sub out to maybe catch a, a breather, some water, there's opportunities for them to be explaining their thinking, to be asking the athlete, what do you see? What would you be doing right here? To get the athlete to start applying their lessons immediately. And so all too often, because of that incongruency of how coaches, their expectations from coaches and what the athlete think is going on, this is where I think a lot of the lack of training as well as the problems occur. Coaches should be very upfront early on about what is needed. And the athlete should agree to it, or if they don't feel that they can meet that, then they need to be honest with coach and let it go to somebody else that can. You know, um, early on too, in preseason, coaches hopefully are doing some team building activities with the team. And before these activities, that's a great time to gather the team up and said, okay, here's the activity. What type of leadership skills do we need? Like what, what do we need out of our leader in this particular activity? And let the team brainstorm and then designate a leader, do the activity, and then come back in and, and debrief it. How did that individual do? Did, they, did the team have their needs met with what they said they needed to have met? Um, what could be improved? What were the strengths? And keep building upon that. And then that might help you also see some opportunities for um, leaders that will be emerging. And you can transfer that into your practices in the same way with here's a particular drill we're about to do, same thing. And, and you're giving them opportunities. I definitely agree. The um, are you kind of referring to when you mentioned the idea of the when the freshmen come in and they get mentored by the sophomores? I know a lot of universities are have started these leadership academies um, where they do these kind of workshops for emerging leaders and then for veteran leaders. Is that the model that you're kind of referring to, or is that something completely different that you've seen as well that started to come up on the scene? Um, you know, you're absolutely correct. When I was referring to the freshmen, the sophomore, I was referring to those models. Um, immediately that came to mind would have been Duke University. Yeah. Okay. Um, so have you worked, you've worked specifically with them and gotten to see a little bit of you know, inside of how they run that or is that, you know, I have not had that pleasure. I've attended some of the workshops on how they do it. Um, at some conferences. Uh, one of the big ones for coaches is to, is to, is the decision to pick or selecting captains or not. Um, and everybody really both sides have some decent arguments to both of them. Um, any, Again, any thoughts at all on, on that? <laughs> You're right. That, that is um, quite the conundrum because yeah. if it's just athlete picked, you are running a popularity contest. If it's just coach picked, you might not have the captain with who, to whom the athletes will respond. Mm -hmm. And what I suggest is a combo. I, there are some fantastic worksheets out there that can get the athletes to begin thinking of what traits they admire in, in leaders. So for instance, you could, number one, just have a conversation with the athletes about the various traits they would like to see in a captain. And then based on those traits, develop a worksheet where the athletes then have an opportunity to write in next to each trait, the athlete's 
who they feel embodies that trait the best, maybe the athlete or athletes. And so now they are having to actually take more of a direct role in thinking through their needs and who will actually meet this. They can turn those sheets into you and maybe that's now how the coach chooses captains or perhaps to then the coach or the other alternative is that the coach might look at that. And if it falls out about the way the coach would see it, uh, maybe then it goes to a vote from the athletes because the coach is okay with any of it. But I think the key here is to get everybody forced to take it to a deeper level. You have to really consider what it is a captain is going to do and what it is you need. Yes. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, any, any thoughts on for those that don't select captains at all? Um, do you feel like that's something that is okay? And actually, let me, before I get to that, what I'd love to ask you is, um, you know, what is your thoughts on the purpose of sport? A lot of times that's kind of where I start and I say, okay, what is kind of my philosophy on what sports is, why we play it? And a lot of times that obviously directs and leads me into a proper decision-making model. Um, and to the decision that I really kind of that stems from what I really truly believe. So if I could start with that, if you wouldn't mind, could you tell us kind of what your thoughts on the purpose of sport are or is? I like to think that sport should develop you as a person, uh, that the winning is, you know, all well and good. And I know people enjoy that, but I like to see the benefits that come from being dedicated and disciplined. I think I see a real difference from athletes and their hardiness, that they tend to be a little bit better at handling uh, obstacles that come in their way. They're willing to fight through them. They're willing to try new strategies to overcome them because that's their world. They have a goal and you work hard towards get to the goal. So for me, sports is absolutely about developing these desirable personality traits and teaching athletes how to apply it to the larger picture. So you're learning these skills within a sport but now you need to apply them to your life as a whole, to the big picture. How will you take this and use these in your career? Because the leadership traits, the communication, the learning how to be a team player are things that are going to make you a very desirable employee. And I would hope that they are also learning the big picture. Yes, I would agree that sports is a vehicle that develops vital skills that we need for life. You know, sports in general, but specifically the team captaincy role is the perfect incubator for leadership development. There's very little from ages, really from birth till 24, where youth are as engaged mentally, physically, even spiritually than they are in sports. It's one of the few things that presents this kind of level of necessity, which is a high-performing habit that really promotes getting outside of your comfort zone, which is where the real growth happens. And so um, you know, I'm a huge advocate, going back to the initial question that I kind of asked you, I'll just give my two cents, but I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for selecting team captains versus not. Um, there are many reasons for this, but I'll, I'll just mention a couple arguments presented kind of against the use of selecting captains and why I don't feel that it is really sufficient enough, just very quickly, you know, I under, and I understand that many have gotten burned by captains. However, uh, many times that really just shows kind of a lack of wisdom on the selection process or a lack of identification and intentional development over the years. You know, an argument that I hear a lot is, well, I want everyone to be a leader. And so, but with that, you know, I feel, you know, that precedent's kind of saying that you feel that 
if you do select team captains, that they're the only ones that are allowed to or can be influential, which is obviously wrong. I mean, you just need to be able to communicate and foster an environment where where that isn't the case, where, uh, you know, because selecting, selecting team captains does not constrain others from leading or influencing as well. Um, another one is, uh, you know, that many aren't interested in giving titles or letting others think that they are better than the rest of the team. That's something that Coach Mike Leach said. But in the real world, everyone has a title for the most part. And it's important that athletes learn now that just because you have a title doesn't mean that you are better. All it means is that you hold more responsibility to serve. And it's better for them to learn that now. And also from some of my own research, I've found that holding a title actually provides a psychological boost and improves ownership to a particular set of duties. And another one that I hear a lot is, um, or that I, not that I heard, but one of the things that I see quite often is that I think that just in general, coaches that don't are really just scared. You know, they don't, and it's good for good reason. You know, they don't want to hurt or slight other senior leaders on the team. You know, they're worried about potential conflict that could occur on a team from doing this. And... Uh, definitely something that you, know, sh you sh certainly should think through and kind of worry about because um, it is an important aspect of the team, obviously, you know, but to this, I say that if your team can't g get through something like this, then I don't, th I don't believe that you'll be able to go through the real tests that are presented to you during the season. And, uh, you know, when we talk about forming, storming, norming, and, and we do know that some conflict is good for a team, you know, and you need it for growth. So I would say to not shy away from it. You know, that's just kind of some of my thoughts on the subject. There's obviously quite more on that, but I'll, I'll stop there. And, and what I'd like to do is move on because uh, I have quite a few other questions for you. And um, I'd love to know what you think some of the differences between leadership are with with when, uh, with women and men's teams. You know the, the research on gender differences have actually been relatively mixed. So for everyone that will tell you that there is some type of a difference, you can find another study that tells you there is not. Mm -hmm. What we do tend to see typically, and that we know, is that realistically ability tends to moderate much of this. So the more skilled you are, the higher up level you go you're not really seeing a difference between athletes they tend to want the same things they want that communication they want the feedback um, they want to improve and so we're not really seeing significant differences in, in what they need from leadership um, above okay um, so I'd love to get into some of the things that you're doing now um, I know I kind of briefly saw and looked into some of the things you're working on again. And so one of the things that popped up was this uh, concept of hidden disabilities. Could you explain a little bit more about some of the work you're doing with that and what all that entails? Absolutely. Well, let me, let me start by just explaining a little bit more about what we mean by hidden disabilities. And it's, a, it's an all-encompassing term for the idea that somebody might have a disability that we just can't see with the naked eye. So for instance, this might range from ADHD to being on the autism spectrum to perhaps even have a, having a hearing disability. And the reason why we felt that this was so important to start to look at is that oftentimes there are characteristics that are associated with some of these disabilities that if you don't understand them or understand that they might be associated with a disability, we might mislabel them. 
And this is particularly true within the sporting world. So for these, uh, we, uh, first, let me also back up and, and mention that I shifted to the youth sport coach and the volunteer youth sport coach because of the fact that they really receive minimal training mm-hmm. and they are asked to do quite a bit. And they're, they're essentially providing the foundation for these athletes to move on and continue these, learning these skills that we want them to have. But when they are faced with situations of athletes that perhaps don't listen, don't follow directions, uh, keep getting highly distracted, they, they may look at these athletes and assume that they are just the problem child. And what the research and certainly what the research is, uh, results are that we've been looking at is that they tend to be very punitive with that. And they view it as the athlete's fault. So when the athlete's not paying attention, it's take a lap or they're going to sit you out. But there's no real consideration for the fact that it might be my coaching techniques that are contributing to this. And so while we do focus on hidden disabilities, we've also very much recognized the fact that what works for athletes with hidden disabilities really just means good coaching technique and good pedagogy skills. And so if we can retrain coaches on this pedagogy, then they're going to be better able to equip to teach all athletes. And so that's where our research focuses right now is looking at their attitudes and their education on hidden disabilities. And then this will be what we're looking to do now is start to develop a curriculum so that we can better inform and teach coaches on how to, how to be better coaches. In the last six months, what's been the most interesting thing that you've learned in regards to sports? You know, I think, I think, and this, in all fairness, ties in many ways to the larger world. With the research that I'm doing right now with hidden disabilities, what continually stands out is that people tend to be afraid of what they don't know, um, what they don't understand, or to what they have not been exposed. And so the key for us to make things better is to continue to provide these opportunities. And what really matters is that we're we're very much stuck in doing things the way we've been done. They've been done in the past. And I think we need to start getting more creative with technology and we need to reassess the needs and how to better reach people to increase this exposure. So for instance, you know, virtual reality is getting out there. Can we create these worlds in which they do have exposure to somebody with a hidden disability and they can then practice their technique? as opposed to worrying about the first time that they actually are encountered with it, just to help increase some of that efficacy. So really looking at ways to make a difference because it's not that people don't want to um, do the right thing or be a better coach. They just often don't know how. Right. Um, How about the thing that you're most excited for within the next six months that you're kind of working on um, if that is the, the hidden disabilities or if that's something else? Um, for me right now, there's actually several things we're pretty excited about. Um, in, in terms of research, this February, we're going to test a training on some parks and recreational coaches, and we're hoping to do a longitudinal stay, um, check in with them then at several points to start to see if this is actually effective and how to better tweak that. And then the second aspect is I'm hoping to get back into some of the pregame speech work, and I'd really like to start looking at some of my, say for instance, anxiety. So if athletes have higher anxiety, does that impact the type of speech they need to hear? And then I'd also like to work with some exercise physiologists to establish the physiological response to the pregame speech. Yeah. 
as well as how long the effect of a speech actually even lasts. So there's many questions that can still be answered. And you, as I'm sure you know, it's just about finding the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's very exciting. I like both of those, especially for the free game speeches. I'd love, I can't wait to see kind of what you come up with that and what the, what the findings show. Um, the last three questions really very quickly, just as we conclude this, um, the, just where can anybody go if they want to get in touch with you or a hold of you, or do you have like a, a blog or a website or is there any, any products that you're selling or any way that they could, uh, you know, if they're interested in finding more about what you're doing, where could they go? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, in general, right now, I'm currently working at Long Beach State University out in California. Uh, certainly, my information's up on our website. Um, I'd love to hear from individuals. We have a graduate program with a master's degree if anybody's interested in studying this further. And many of our graduate students do work with athletes in the area and work to prepare for their certification through the Association of Applied Sports Psychology. I'm also on LinkedIn. And while we do have a um, website on hidden disabilities, at this point we've been working more off of the hidden disabilities page on Facebook, so you might be able to locate that as well. Um, and then last year we actually wrote a book for effective coaching for all athletes within youth recreational sports. And that is through Fitness Informational Technology if you are interested in purchasing that book. We are really proud of this particular book as it takes drills for coaches of various sports and then shows you the different accommodations you can make so that you can address athletes of all ability level. Simply because as a youth sport coach, you do have kids that maybe it's their first time ever playing and somebody else has been playing for five years and how do you do the same drill for all? So that was the goal for that particular book while also educating on just some basic pedagogical skills and some uh, hidden disability information. Wow, that's a lot. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Um, how about your favorite book? <laughs> um, yeah, I love to read. And so it's hard to just pick one. Um, you know, growing up, it was always actually Gone with the Wind. And yeah, I love East of Eden, Lonesome Dove, Harry Potter. So the list could absolutely go on. Oh, yeah. My wife could talk about that for, uh, for a very long time. And I love that as well. Harry Potter is one of our favorites. Um, <laughs> how about your favorite quote? Um, you know, I'm also a big Star Wars fan, oh, so yeah. I will go with, uh, do or do not, there is no try. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Dr. Vargas, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you again so much for your time. I know you're very busy, but uh, again, thank you for helping us try to provide some more insights here to, into sports for these team captains and uh, coaches that are listening in. Well, thank you so much for having me. And if you'd ever like to chat again, or if I can be of any assistance, please let me know. Excellent. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Captain's Coach Podcast with Ben Smith. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review on iTunes and check out our website at captainscoach.com. Join us next time for another edition of the Captain's Coach Podcast.